If you want to make time-lapse media creation quicker, easier, and more productive, it's simple. Buy a camera with a built-in intervalometer and time-lapse capabilities. We're going to talk about just what those are and how to use those on today's episode of The Time-Lapse Show. Hello, fellow time-lapsers. I'm video producer and photographer Steve Barth, and this is show number 10 for the week beginning August 26th, 2018. We actually have news stories this week of interest to time-lapse media producers. So before we get into the main segment of the show, let's do some news. First up, the city council in a small town called Lake Macquarie in Australia is starting a really cool new public art project. It's called Coast Snap. Now, the way that this works is they've got kind of a public viewing area next to one of their beaches. And in that public viewing area, kind of a scenic overlook type of area, they've built into the rock work uh, a little stand where you can put your camera, line it up just perfectly and take a picture. And then you send that picture to them. They have full instructions there as far as how this works. And over time, they're going to compile a time-lapse video that shows all of these user-submitted pictures. Now, what this does is several things. First of all, it creates cool, hopefully, time-lapse video. So they're using this, this crowdsourcing mentality to go about this, where they're using people to take the pictures instead of having cameras, you know, their own cameras out there taking lots and lots of pictures. Now, this does make the public feel involved. This does... Um, you know, add people to that workflow, which should be interesting to see how that works. Now, when it's all said and done, researchers from local universities are going to use these time lapses and this data to really study things like erosion and recovery. So we have this really cool idea where we're taking uh, you know, our love of time lapse media and the cool things that allows us to see and we're cross applying that with this crowdsourcing mentality. And then we're cross applying that with the beauties of nature and cross applying that with scientific discovery and scientific research. All of these things coming together to make one cool product, all as dreamed up about from these folks in Australia. So that is really cool. I'll put the site where you can learn more about this in the show notes if you want to go check it out. I think that this combination of things is going to make for a really cool project, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Next up, Zion Crane is getting ready to show off a new series of gimbals at the IBC show that's coming up in September. Now, a lot of people are really into these new types of, of gimbals. You see them a lot with iPhones on the top or even DSLRs. Um, I, the wedding videographer I hired for my daughter's wedding a few months ago, he spent the whole day on one just holding it and zooming around. It allows you to get really nice, steady motion shots. Uh, because it's using this this gimbal that's that's controlling the motion. So popular maker of these gimbals called Zion is coming out with their series two. Like I said, series one has really been popular. I used one for several shoots and really really liked it. But what I find interesting about this piece of news isn't just the fact that they're coming out with this new series of crane. The fact is that they're actually marketing it towards a time lapse type of audience. Now, reading from an article that's here on multichannel.com, it says, combined with the dedicated phone app, you can also realize various advanced shootings like motion time-lapse and panoramas. So that's what sets off the question in my mind. How are we going to use a 
motion control gimbal that you can you know move around for time-lapse production. I'd love to be able to get my hands on one of these things, test it out, see for myself. According to Leo Wang, the vice president of Zion, he says, what's also clear is that one of the big advantages of the crane stabilizer is its ability to handle a massive weight capacity with ease. Whether you're using mirrorless cameras with kit lenses or you're using professional grade DSLRs with heavier lenses, this means video content creators can now handle a significantly wider range of cameras and lens combinations with even more fabulous work. So if you're going to the IBC show, make sure to check these out. Go visit the Zion booth and see what they've got. And then if you're there, let us know what you think and if you think this is a good tool for time-lapse production. The IBC show runs September 14th through 18th in Amsterdam. And if you need more details about the show, you can visit show.ibc.org. So that's the news for this week. Let's move on now to a new segment on the show, simply titled... Steve screws up. Now, I've got to admit, I have taken a ton of time-lapse media throughout the course of my career. And a lot of people comment on what amazing shots that I get, and they really like what I've come up with. But what they don't see is the shots that I screw up. Now, as we've talked about before, time-lapse can be tricky because when you set up a camera, you're not just click taking a picture and moving on you're committing yourself to a long period of time and you're just hoping that everything turns out the way that you anticipate this last weekend i will put into the lousy shot category when i realized i screwed up on multiple fronts and so i'm going to be human i'm going to talk about my mistakes and my screw-ups in the hopes that we can learn from those in this new segment so here's the deal. My son's high school track coach called the other day. We've been waiting all summer for some construction crews to go over and resurface our local track. And it was finally the day the track coach called, said, Steve, get over to the high school. They're doing the track resurfacing. And I said, okay, no problem. On my way. Grab my camera. I head over. They had already started to work, so I was in a bit of a rush. I got my camera posted, got everything ready to go, and the shot began. One of the things I was really trying to look at was the interval settings. Now, how often do I want to take a picture? And unfortunately, I was thinking of file size. I was thinking, if I'm taking a picture every 10 seconds and I'm shooting all day long, that's way too many pictures, so I can't shoot with a 10 second interval, maybe a 30 second interval. But that's where one of the problems came in. In the end, it just turns out that the, the movement was just too fast. All of the, the people, all the workers just kind of blurred out when you looked at the final shot. The next problem was the fact that the guys on the construction crew were just barely getting started. When the coach called me, he thought everything was gonna happen in one day. Turns out it was a six day long project. So. All I really captured on that first day was just the prep work, which was not very exciting. Uh, also, the weather was not very exciting. There wasn't any dramatic, cool cloud movement. It was just blah. And finally, because I was doing a long, all-day shot, I had to have external power. So I had to bring a battery pack with me. And when I rigged up my camera, I rigged it up you know, towards the roof. And there wasn't any place to really set my battery pack. So I just used duct tape, duct taped it to the side of the wall, uh, used a whole bunch of tape so that I knew it wasn't going to go anywhere. But I was mistaken because when I got back that night to take the camera down, it had fallen and broken. And, you know, as strong as these things are, they're not made to handle a two-story fall to solid concrete below. So now suddenly I'm out $40 for a battery pack. So let's take a look at the shot and I'll show you exactly where those problems came from. 
Uh, here it is. You can see, again, the weather is really not doing much. There, there's a few clouds up there, uh, but really nothing that makes people go, ooh, wow. Uh, even when I, you know, mess with the colors and all that kind of stuff, there's just not a lot there. See, so now if you're looking at the track, you know, down here, you can see that there's really not much to look at. It's There's just not enough going on to really make it exciting. Now, let's, let's look at my intervalometer settings. See, see, there's this guy right there. Now, the question you've got to ask yourself is, where's he going to be when the next picture is taken? In 30 seconds. So when I go to the next frame, oh, he's you know, way over here. Or if I go to the next frame, he's now way down here. So in 30 seconds, people can go a long ways. And now when we speed this up over a long period of time... They, all the workers pretty much just disappear from the track because they're just all over the place. And it, you know, you really can't get a sense of what they're doing. So what I had to do is I had to go back down to a 10 second interval, even though my files were going to be bigger, that's okay. I can always speed them up and post, but at least I'm capturing what I wanted to do. So for instance, once I fixed that setting and I got to be in the right place where I wanted to be, and luckily the weather cooperated, I could then get the types of shots that I would originally was hoping to get, but I hadn't been able to get them on that day. So here's just a quick recap of the problem so we can make sure we don't do these in the future. At the end of the day, I hadn't coordinated with the construction crew, so I knew what the big events were that were happening, so I knew when to hang that camera and which angle to, to put it at. Second major problem, I was thinking of file size and not of the appropriate intervalometer settings. It should have been at 10 seconds instead of the 30 that I set it at. And finally, don't hang your battery pack from the roof. Uh, make sure that your gear is very well taken care of so that way you're not spending money having to replace things that you shouldn't. Don't screw up like Steve. Now, last week, we went into details about cameras that have external intervalometers. What that means is that your camera has to have some sort of external piece of equipment that's going to control how often it takes a picture in a time-lapse file, whether that's a laptop, whether that's a remote control, whether that's a motion control device. There's all sorts of different kinds. If you want to go into all that stuff, go watch last week's show. But this week, we're going to take all that and make it easier because we're going to add that functionality into the cameras themselves and have it all nice and built in. Now, there's a number of cameras that have built-in intervalometers. Um, I'm going to put a big list of common cameras, a lot of popular cameras here in the show notes. I'll also put this up on the screen here. So you kind of get a sense of types of cameras, brands of cameras that have those built-in intervalometers. Now, you can see this list is pretty extensive. There's, there's a lot of different types of cameras, different brands, all that kind of stuff. I can't go into every single one of those in depth. Now, as I've been looking around at all their menu systems and such, I noticed that they're all fairly straightforward and they're all fairly similar. So I'm going to go through, I'm going to use the camera I've got in front of me, which is my Panasonic GH4, to show you the menu system, to show you kind of how most of them work. One of the things you're going to need to keep in mind is that when you're taking time-lapse photos, you still have to have 
good photographic skills. You have to know what you're doing with the camera because every one of these is an individual picture. Every one of these is going to have its own settings as far as... Uh, you know, your f-stop and shutter speed and so forth and so forth. So you need to make sure you know how to get those settings initially and experiment and learn. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my camera on fully manual mode for, say, a basic generic shooting situation. I'm going to then come up with a list of, of settings that I think are going to work best for the situation. And then once I take in a few test shots, I'm going to take my top dial and I'm going to turn it all the way up into my time-lapse mode, which gives you a little symbol like you see on the screen. When I'm here, I can do my settings. And the settings are very are very basic. What it wants to know is, okay, we're in time-lapse mo shooting mode. I can either start it now, which is typically what I'll do, or I can set a starting time if I want it to start firing at a specific time of day. Next is my shooting interval. Now, I can say I wanted to shoot every, you know, this is where I'm going to set up that interval. I want it shooting every 10 seconds. I want it shooting every 5 seconds or you know, what that ends up being. And I can also say my image count. This is how many images it should take when producing this particular time lapse. With those things all set, then it's a matter of, again, making sure your settings are correct and hitting the button. Now, when you get to the end of your time lapse... Uh, if you've set it up exactly correctly, it will end when you're thinking of. Otherwise, you can stop it prematurely. So I'm going to end my time lapse. And now it's going to say, yes, I want to end my time lapse. Do I want to create a video? Well, yes, I do. Because it has built-in time lapse functionality, instead of just taking a series of pictures, which it has done, it's now going to process those all for me so that I don't have to do that in the computer. So I'm going to say yes. I'm going to make sure that my record quality is you know, 24p or 4k, which is the types of settings that, that I use. I do personally process time lapse at 24 frames per second, but if you have a frame rate that you prefer, you can set that there. And then I just want a normal sequence. I can also render it in reverse if I want, but I just want a normal regular forward sequence from what I just shot. I can then hit OK. It's going to process that, and then I can preview the time-lapse on my, my camera and see exactly how I did right there on the spot. I don't have to bring all these images back to my computer and process them there. I can see right then and there if I got what I was looking for. Now, one thing that is nice, at least in the GH4, is that it's not just keeping that end video file. It's also keeping all the individual pictures that you shot. So if when I render the, the time-lapse in the camera, if I don't like those results, I can go back in and I can tweak it. I can mess with each picture on my computer. I have all of those files and then I have full creative control by doing it that way as well. So you kind of have the best of both worlds. You've got all the individual pieces, all the individual photos, and you have your finished file that the camera has rendered if you need that and want to see how it looks right there on the spot. So this, to me, this saves me a ton of time. I could be taking pictures. I could be looking at exactly what's happening. I could be monitoring it as it shoots. And at the end of my time-lapse period, I can render it right there and see if I got my results that I wanted. So that leads us to this week's question of the week, which is simply this. Do you, as time-lapse producers, have a preference between an external intervalometer or a camera with a built-in intervalometer? And what kind of success have you seen with either 
system. Would love to hear your comments, love to hear your feedback. If you're watching the video podcast, just simply reply in the comments down below. Or if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, shoot me an email at show at thetimelapseshow.com and that way I can get your feedback there. Now in the past, I've shown some clips that have forest fires. A lot of those going on this summer. I've also showed a lot of clips that have stars or different scenery, but this week I found a clip that has everything all in one. This is from a photographer named Jason Gendron. Um, here's his little snippet of his video, also with a link to the video so you can watch the whole thing. But I love seeing these amazing sites that we can only see with time lapse. So go check that out. And if you find any clips that you think that I should include, or maybe your own work, as clips of the week, make sure to send those to me again, show at the timelapseshow.com and I can include those. So let's wrap up the show. As always, remember, you can catch us on all sorts of social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. So look us up there and follow us. All sorts of information about that is, is down below. Send your questions to show at thetimelapseshow.com so that way I can answer them on future shows. If you don't want to type an email, you can always call us at our voicemail, which is 541-321-0472. Remember to answer the question of the week so I can find out what kind of... Uh, gear you prefer to use leave us a review on itunes especially if you're listening to the audio podcast so we can know if we are serving you in audio podcast format also remember you can subscribe uh, lots of different ways that you can connect with us so with that i'll see everyone next week now grab a camera and go speed up the world